what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv podcast network. Alan Jackson and Chris Fry with you here from the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival. But today we're talking about new films that we're going to be discussing, reviewing, and even talking about some new films that haven't come out yet that we're going to tease and talk a little bit about later on in the show as well. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Um, I'm still looking for my invitation to the Oscars. Um, it's you didn't get up yours? Pretty, I, not yet. I mean, I'm assuming it's arriving any day it, now. So. Did you move recently? Maybe they got the wrong address? Uh, no, I, I don't think that's it. It hmm. must be must be something else. Uh, maybe someone stole it out of my mailbox. I, I have mine. Oh, okay. I huh? got mine. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hold on. No. Actually, I'm looking closer at it. No, no, it's not. It's for... Uh, it's just for our friends get together. So no, no I, 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 I do not have it. So uh, we are both out of luck, unfortunately, on going to the Oscars. I know we will be hosting some Foot Candle Film Society members for a viewing of the award ceremony. Yes. Um, so that'll be fun. We can yes, kind of check out and see how the how the show goes in general, and uh, we'll have our our kind of our predictions filled out and able to see how we feel that we do compared to the uh, the ceremony. As long as I don't come in last place, that's my goal. Yeah. Um, so you, normally after the after the Oscars are over, generally the next episode we put out, we do a little bit of recap, just sure. kind of see how the how the evening went in general and if uh, it went in the direction we expected or not. So to be on the lookout for that. But that's not today because obviously the Oscars haven't quite happened yet. But instead, what we do have to talk about are a couple of new film releases that we're going to be discussing and reviewing. First up will be the latest Disney slash Pixar film, Turning Red. And then we'll be turning our attention over to a uh, Netflix, correct? Yes. It was a Netflix exclusive mm-hmm. uh, premiere release of a film called Windfall, which was written and directed by Charlie McDowell, who we recently saw as far as uh, one of his last movies. It wasn't his very last movie, but the one before that was The One I Love. Yes. That we reviewed right here on the show, I do recall. Mm-hmm. So we'll be doing talking about his follow-up film, Windfall, which is starring Jason Siegel, Lily Collins, and Jesse Plemons. So Chris, why don't we flip back over to the animated world and get started with our first review of the Pixar film, Turning Red. To get to, to get to. Let's go. I'm Maylin Lee. I wear what I want, say what I want, 24 7, 365. I know, it's a lot. But I don't got time to mess around. Oh, about the hustle, am I right? Poor town. This is gonna be the best year ever. And nothing's gonna get in my way. Turning Red marks the second animated film by director Domi Shi. It also marks the second Pixar film to debut exclusively on Disney Plus and forego a theatrical run. The first was last year's Luca. In Shi's first film, Bao, and it was a short, 
an aging Chinese mother suffers from empty nest syndrome. In Turning Red, there's some similar themes explored, such as teenage Mei, voiced by Rosalie Chang, wanting to distance herself from her mother, voiced by Sandra Oh. How did this coming-of-age film work for you, Alan, and did you think it was done a disservice by not having a theatrical run? Well, I mean, I think a lot of movies are done a disservice by not having a theatrical run. So I'll go ahead and just get that on the table. And okay. yes, this is, this is, you know, quality-wise, production-wise, and storytelling-wise, this is, you know, upper echelon Pixar in my mind. So yes, is it a disservice that it was kind of uh, stuck just on the Disney Plus platform and not even one you had to pay extra for? It was a truly just as part of your subscription. Now me as a convenience factor, it was great. I got to see it sure. very easily. I could watch it anytime I wanted to, but it's a shame because unfortunately there is a little bit of a stigma that you attach to when you have a film that goes to a theater. If they considered a big release it used to be the whole direct video was the term you use for a film that didn't go to the theater, just went straight to VHS or DVD. And those were kind of seen as lesser films. I don't think that's the case or should be the label used with, with turning red. Cause I actually did find this pretty enjoyable okay. and uh, I think uh, creative and unique. Um, uh, there's some takeaways from it. Some things I, I, I wish they had handled differently and I'll, I can discuss those without spoiling too much of the film. Okay. But I will say uh, the lead character uh, and her gang of friends, I had a lot of fun with. <laughs> Right. A certain boy band that uh, is made up for this movie. I think they had a lot of fun in the animation department and voice department with that group as well. Sure. And, uh, and I love the overall story that it's telling the theme. I mean, it has a lot to do with the relationship of uh, this young girl and her family, especially her mother, a little bit having to do with heritage and family and generational passed down. And then of course the challenges of growing up and being a 13 year old and, wrestling with all that entails. Now, I don't have any girls in my household. <laughs> I grew up, uh, I raised all boys. So this one, you know, uh, I will say, I think it's a great film. And for it, it gives some great insight into, uh, I think, a little bit more what the pressures and feelings can be for someone. I mean, boy or girl at that age, but I think a little more heightened, uh, well, obviously, what we're seeing in the film from a, from a female perspective. Um, I thought it was handled in a very tasteful, creative way and uh, definitely had me engaged. So I had a good time with this film. Uh, Chris, what are your, what are your thoughts on this? So I, I, I liked it. Um, I was kind of surprised. I remember hearing right before it premiered, cause they kind of, you knew the film was coming out and then they kind of dumped it like, Oh, by the way, this is exclusive Disney plus. And there was a lot of uproar on the internet mm -hmm. and a lot of people really coming to the defense of specifically the Pixar artists. They're like, dude, yeah. this is back-to-back -back films for them that have kind of been sidelined. And people obviously still paid attention to Luca. It did get an Oscar nomination for Best Animated Feature. But still, you just feel like, oh, man, it's kind of a shame. I will say with this one, I felt like it's even more of a shame. Luca, great. It would have been cool to see it in the theater. But it, I don't think it suffered necessarily. There's, and I won't get into spoilers, but there's a sequence towards the end of this film <laughs> that was cool, but it would have been really cool to see on the big screen because scale is important. I'll say Are that. Are you talking about a certain scene that, for me, in the kind of movies <laughs> that I have always uh, championed, giant uh, giant things and creatures stomping through a city? Yes. Are you talking about that kind of scene? Okay, yes. good. And we'll I think, leave it at that. Yeah, and I think that would have been much better received or just would have been, yeah. you know, oh, it would have been a bigger spectacle. Yeah. yeah. And it just was like, Oh man, and it was still cool and it was well done, 
but it was just kind of like, man, that would have been much cooler yeah. <laughs> in a big theater. Um, I, what impressed me was, um, we, the, I said in the intro, this is a coming of age film. So this, uh, may the 13 year old, she's in middle school. She's getting ready to eventually, you know, go to high school. It's the teen pressures of, you know, boys are trying to be liked or trying to be popular. Um, but what was unique with this specifically was, you know, we don't often get this from the female perspective. Um, more recently with films like eighth grade, which wasn't animated and actually, uh, last year's, uh, Mitchell's versus the machines. That was also about a girl that was graduating high school, and getting ready to go to college and kind of trying to find out who she was type stuff. So we're getting more of those films, but specifically, you know, from the female perspective, it's kind of good to make up for the, the gap of all the ones we didn't have along mm-hmm. the years. Cause it just, I don't know. It's just refreshing. And this one, interestingly, I'm not really sure why they did it. Um, I think it could have very easily like Mitchell's versus the machines be set in present day, but instead they yeah, kind of set it back a, like 2002, 2004. 2002. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which kind of an interesting choice. Didn't you know distract from anything. And the only thing I can think of is maybe specifically because there is the boy band that you referenced. Not that we don't have boy bands now, but they yeah. tend to be more K-pop as opposed to like new kids on the block type. Yeah. Things. But I didn't really understand. I, I didn't understand that the, the reason for setting it. I, Almost 20 years in the past. I didn't, I didn't either. There's nothing. um, I mean, sometimes you do that because you don't want technology to kind of get in the way of the story with cell phones and so forth. But I mean, we had cell phones at that time. Sure. Um, I don't know. It was, it was an interesting question. I couldn't quite place why, why the desire to set it back 20 years like that. Right. Yeah. I couldn't, but it didn't, it didn't bother me, but I was just like, Oh, that's interesting. Just an odd choice. Yeah. Um, you mentioned kind of the characters and the things, some of the things they, I feel like they really got right. (laughs) Um, was kind of the stereotype they did of the band Four Town, <laughs> yeah. which was the name, you know, the number four, and then Four Town. Even though there were five people in there the were band, five people, which, <laughs> which is was a question, right? In the and film there's kind of well, just, yeah. but it's and it's finally kind of glossed over, like, well, whatever, we love them anyway. And so, mm. you know, I liked that uh, you commented on how they developed. She has a friend group, and within mm. that friend group, they kind of spend time, kind of getting you familiar what each character type is within the friend group. And that matters because I think there's a total of four girls and you can tell they're a very tight knit. Yeah. I love, I think any of the scenes with the four of them, I mean, I'll, I'll say right away. I thought the voice acting on all four of them were outstanding, but I will say I I thought may or may Lynn. Yeah. The main character voiced by Rosalie Chang uh, was outstanding. I thought she was great. I really, it made it really easy to connect with her character and just really enjoy the time when she's on screen. And then I liked all of her friends as well. So they were just a very fun group uh, with, with some interesting personalities in the mix and all voice extremely well by the actors there working on those. And then they, they also set up an interesting story arc for, I guess you would say he's kind of the villain, but not really a soft villain of Tyler. Who's kind of, oh, right. yeah. <laughs> he's not necessarily a bully, but he doesn't, you know, he kind of makes fun of Maylan at some points and he's, he's kind of antagonistic. Yes. So kind of his story arc to me was also very satisfying. And I will say, um, I, I, if, if you can't tell from my voice, which I don't know, you can always tell these things, but, um, I am not from a Chinese background. Mm-hmm. Um, however, um, my sister, she married into a Chinese family down in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. And some of the culture stuff that was presented in this film, even though it takes place in Toronto, not in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, but I've come to know a lot of just different Chinese culture things. And I found it really cool to see that up on big screen, which so I can't imagine how like 
people of that culture must feel. They must feel like, oh, cool, we finally get a movie that kind of represents us, which is also something that both you know, Pixar has tried to do and Disney has done increasingly so Mm -hmm. in, um, you know, recent years as well as other films like crazy rich Asians and stuff like that. But it's just kind of neat to see that up on film. And I could see some of the things I kind of recognized. I was like, Oh yeah, right. Mm -hmm. So that was, um, that was, that was cool to me. Um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, Yeah. Just talking about the story in general. Um, I did think the story was, um, engaging. Okay. There is a, a kind of a, 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 uh, mythical and kind of a fantasy element to it as the story goes on. Yes. I, I was into all of that. I do feel like they maybe went too far on the fantasy element, a little too far on the, um, I hate to even saying special effects because I me mean, as an animated it's movie, an obviously, anime, sure. but still it was, it, it, I felt like the, it got a little bit away from the core story hmm. late in the film. Okay. So I'll give that as a little bit of a, a criticism of it. I, I thought the core story, which, you know, not only Maylin and her friend's relationship, but mainly Maylin and her mother. I think that's really where you start sure. to hone in a lot. And push and pull over like tradition versus right. who I want to be now. Yeah. And, yeah, right. and, and the fact that she's a 13 year old girl that's sure. growing up under a careful wing of her mother. They've got a certain relationship and you start to see that relationship change based on her growing up and learning more about the mother and her background as well. Right. I, I just feel like the film was so good when it was so centered on those relationships. When it got into, there's a, a ceremony, there's a, uh, a lot going on mm-hmm. late in the film. And then even leading up to the big scene you were talking about, that would have been really <laughs> great on the big scene. Right. As much as I love the visuals behind it at the same time, I'm like, I just, I feel like we've gotten away from hmm. what I really liked about the film. I was okay with the film being a little simpler and a little quieter and a little just, focusing more on the characters and the, and the story behind them when it got to be such a big spectacle, like the film, I, I waned a little bit, uh, but hmm. it was still enjoyable. It's sure. not, not saying that it's a turnoff or something that I don't, you know, I, 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 I'm against on the film. Just, I do feel like that it, it lost sight a little bit for me um, towards the latter part. But, See, I, that actually, that helped me keep my interest kind oh. of taking that turn and kind okay. of the, the inset piece. And, I think um, the whole fact I was kind of impressed, it's kind of like a movie like way back in the, I guess, 1980s, Teen Wolf. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but this is like There's an animated of version of yeah. that. And it's also not a werewolf. It's a giant red panda. And it's from the female perspective. And so that I kind of appreciated, appreciate that take. And kind of the thing like if you would told me, oh, this girl turns into a panda and she's trying to hide it. I'm like, okay, I kind of know how this film's going to go. I kind of know the beats that it's going to hit. And I found myself surprised in that um, instead of having to hide it, it's actually kind of embraced in a way that but ends up still causing problems. And I thought that was kind of an ingenious way to turn some things on their head that you're kind of like, if you just hear the story idea, you're like, oh, yep, I know how that Disney Pixar film is going to go. And you're wrong, or yeah. I was wrong. No, so. it, it did keep me... It did, it did change things from what I expected, for sure. sure. Yeah, you're right. About midway through the film, I'm realizing, okay, yeah, so this isn't going the way I thought it was going to go, which I, I was kind of enthralled by that. And uh, so, again, no, I love the premise. I mean, it's a, I mean, I, I, it's hard to say it's a simple premise when the premise is involving a young <laughs> girl that turns into a giant red panda, but sure. it truly is a simple premise. Right, and it's not overly complicated. No, sure. it's not. And they don't try to go over overboard on explaining it too much either. It's just, hey, yeah, I, there was like a one little... A moment where they kind of were tell, telling a story and they did it, I think fairly simply and they mm-hmm. did it with some great art 
uh, to showcase the story. And that was really all you needed. Like, okay, got it. We're done. We're let's, let's move on with the story <laughs> now. And, and, uh, it worked. Um, so again, I just, I just felt like it, it got a little too fantastical for the story that I was kind of rooted into the rest of the film late in the film. But that's, that's my only real kind of, uh, negative of the film. Uh, I thought overall it was very enjoyable, extremely well animated. Sure. Uh, looked beautiful as always, like any kind of Pixar film and even other voice actors on there as well. Sandra O oh played the mother. Right. So I thought she was very, very good. Uh, then we have uh, the grand, various, uh, various uh, females taking the roles of the grandmother and all of the aunts, which mm-hmm. I thought were kind of an interesting Okay, group. and that's that's something like you know extended family yeah. and everything in Chinese culture is very important. And yeah. yeah, I don't even I can't even keep up with all the people that my sister is now related to because yeah, it's like aunts and like when they have like a a birthday or whatever, it is it's crazy because <laughs> yeah. they're all also so and like the personification of that with or the just the indicating that with all the different aunts and how they are like very involved in people's lives that. That that rang true to me. What yeah. little I know of it, it rang sure. true to me. So, and I will say this too. I I, I think the film. You know, I, I definitely, I absolutely recommend it for uh, parents, hmm. um, parents of younger children. I mean, I think obviously the film is attractive to younger children as well. There, are, Pixar does does kind of push a little bit on some 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 they, themes here. They that I think, absolutely uh, do. I was kind of surprised about. That. I was going to mention that. Happy. The surprise. Sure. I think it's. I think it was the right kind of themes to be talking about in this film. I mean, you've got a girl, thirteen years old, going through some of her own changes, both emotional and, and, and physical changes, and those are being addressed. And I think done in an extremely well done way. And uh, and I think the film is interesting in that you know you, you're led to believe at one point that this transformation she's going through is maybe more symbolic, but then you come to realize no. I mean, there is symbolism to it, sure. obviously. But it is actually truly a mythological transformation right. that her family has um, has has worked through for generations. I just thought the managing of all that was really well done. It was it was good. It was tasteful. It was, but I mean, it was authentic. And I think it you know it, it was a, the right messaging to be sharing with kids because so many of the Pixar movies are geared towards I think a few just a couple like of years younger, ten years old, yeah, yeah, yeah. But realizing that there's an audience there for. Uh, kids that are going through this very, I mean, gosh, you know, middle school to me is still just <laughs> was one of the worst, most trying time as a kid. Sure. And that, I think this film does a great job of capturing a lot of that. And yeah, I'd agree. And that, that kind of really impressed me because the way they're handling this girl, basically going through puberty, she's 13, you know, she, body changes and it could have very easily veered into PG 13 territory, (laughs) but Pixar kind of through the discomfort she feels with it and some of the humor that she uses, but still kind of acknowledging what's happening. I thought it was extremely well done and shocking, but in a good way, like, Oh, Pixar's not shying away from this. They're Mm -hmm. putting it up on screen. They're talking about it, which I thought was cool. Um, I guess I really don't have really any misgivings with the film. So I kind of enjoyed it. Um, I don't really have like a, a quibble or anything with it. Um, I'll say another positive is small positive cause it's just a real slight thing, but the representation of the father in mm. this story, kind of mm. how, you know, mother and daughter have this one relationship, you know, daughter and father have this other relationship and he's kind of quiet, but he still provides kind of a, um, you know, a loving relationship for the daughter. And he kind of like supports her in some of the decisions that she ends up making kind of saying like, you know, don't lose this side of yourself. And I thought that was really good. And 
the role he plays on how he like met her mother and stuff that I don't know. I thought it was really well tied in about like mm-hmm. he's there and he's just kind of a presence, but he's not like dominant. Like it's not all about the male side. It's more of the female perspective yeah. and the mom's perspective. And it's all that. So I thought that was just well done and yeah. uh, interesting. I, I agree. Um, yeah, really my only, my only t- issue was I, I just, I, 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 I thought it lost sight towards the end a little bit. Okay. Of, of the core story it was trying to share and doing it more for spectacle and doing it more for visual appeal than it was for actual storytelling. That's just me. That's just the kind of way I responded to it at the end. Other than that, and this has nothing to do with the film itself, but just as a, as a note to Disney plus <laughs> when you promote a film and you've got a duration on it ah. and the duration was uh, quoted at uh, hour 47 hmm. minutes. It's not an hour and 47 minutes. Honestly, it was almost about an hour and a half. Oh, wow. There are so, not only the credit sequences obviously take up a good bit of time, but with the online streaming, I don't know if you've noticed or not, Chris, after the main film credits are done, you have a whole series of credits about all of the work done to provide the streaming of this film to various countries and all the teams involved. And it's a good almost 10 minutes of just additional things. So I'm actually to the end of the film I knew it was an hour 45 marketed. I'm at an hour 30. I'm like, I feel like the film is just wrapping up right now. What's going on? So anyway, I just thought that was, again, has nothing to do with the film, but it's more of the the way it's promoted and presented. Uh, I've just noticed that don't, don't, you look at the running time, maybe shave off 10 to 15 (laughs) minutes because that's really what you're realistically looking at for these. So anyway. All right. Well, that is Turning Red, the latest from Disney, Pixar, it is available on Disney Plus. It is not in theaters. It's only through Disney Plus subscriptions right now. Uh, but Chris and I are both really happy with the film. Uh, pretty pretty satisfied on it. Yeah, and I'll say one additional kind of trivial note. There is some music, original music in the film for the band Four Town. And there were songs that were actually written by Billie Eilish and her brother, uh, yeah. Phineas O'Connell. And Phineas O'Connell actually provides one of the voices of the boy band. So that's kind of a neat yeah. like, behind the scenes. I will thing. say the boy band songs, were, were they were catchy. Kind of catchy. I mean, they were they were you would not have uh, I, I would have been fooled if you had said, you know, that they were. I I would have bought it if you had said these were films, songs that were actually by a popular band sure. at the time because they did sound very very authentic and uh, that was a, a fun element of the film as well. I had a good time with that. So, okay, well that is Turning Red from Pixar and Disney. Now let's uh, let's turn our attention to another online streaming film. This one available through Netflix, and this is one called Windfall. how gorgeous this place is. This guy breaks into my house. Holy And you just sit down on the couch. Okay, but how about you, you let go of my wife first? And I've had to hold his hand. How does this open? Is there a trick to the purse? No. There's a clasp. And help him rob us. I want $150,000. You think that's enough? Yeah, I think you're probably going to want more than that. Chris, I recall us having a discussion about uh, Mr. McDowell's film, The One I Love, from several years ago. Yes. And you're going to have to recall from me, because I don't have my notes in front of me, who the two actors were. Elizabeth Moss and... And uh, Jay Duplass. Or not Jay, but... Um, Mark yeah, Duplass. Mark Duplass, yes. That's right. The other Duplass brother. And it was a it was a small film... Fairly, you know, uh, independent film, fairly low budget, but it have a high concept to it. Mm-hmm. This idea of, you know, 
and they come to a, a guest house or staying at a, a vacation house that has a some sort of sci-fi element to it. And but it really was an exploration of their relationship. Yes. Ultimately what it came down to, yes. even despite all the sci-fi elements, it was still an exploration of this this couple's relationship. Well, now in this film, Windfall, uh, we have the story also written by uh, Charlie McDowell and directed by by Mr. McDowell. Uh, the story of a man who breaks into a tech millionaire's or billionaire's empty vacation home thinking that they're going to be gone for a while and he has the place to himself. But things go a little awry when the actual uh, billionaire and his wife show up at the last minute. Yes. And uh, with this film, you really have a basically a three-person character study. Mm-hmm. Maybe mix in a fourth person at one point, but really the three people are the main ones. Sure. And ultimately, a film that still, uh, even though the premise is very different, we're not talking any sci-fi fantasy elements here. It's very much a grounded in realism film, but it still ultimately is talking about relationships. Um, so, Chris, I'm anxious to hear your thoughts on this. You were a big fan of the one I love when yes. we reviewed it. I was, I was a fan, not as big as you were. I had a little more misgivings. It didn't work quite as well for me, but I know you, you uh, seem to really respond well to it. So I'm curious how you feel about this also very small kind of very limited cast uh, film, very similar in nature, even to the point where some of the True. housing and some of the geographic locations are very similar. True. So I want to hear your thoughts on the film Windfall. So I'll actually couch how I feel about it in addition to the film, another film that he had made in between Windfall and the one I love. He made a film called a the discovery. Mm-hmm. And that one actually starred Jesse Plemons and Jason Siegel as well. Okay. Um, and that one I was not as high on. It had a really high end kind of sci-fi premise and it just, the idea was interesting, but it just didn't overall work for me. So somewhere between how I felt about the discovery and how I feel about, um, the one I love, which I did love mm-hmm. is windfall. Um, it is pretty simplistic in nature and story, even more so than either one of the other films because there's no sci-fi element. It's pretty straightforward, like the description you described. It's hour 32 minutes, maybe a little less if you trim off like the translations that they <laughs> yeah. put on online streaming things. But it's it's pretty trim. Um, immediately with the opening shot, I liked what they were going for because the opening credits have this presentation. It's a static shot, mm-hmm. very much a throwback to like a early area of Hollywood with noir films and kind of a nod to Hitchcock. And like they present, mm-hmm. it's all this like stylized yellow text, but the shot doesn't move behind it. It you know, does everything over that um, background shot of the house that um, eventually is going to, you know, it's going to be the billionaire's house. So I, I like that. And it kind of, and the music is also really, I thought oh, good in the film yeah. and it kind of sets the tone for everything. And it's like, and, you know, this is obviously a style exercise and I appreciated it. And actually I liked it. You know, overall I wasn't blown away by it by the time it finished. However, mm-hmm. upon reflecting about certain things, which I'll let you have your response here in a second, but upon reflecting on certain things, it actually has grown in my estimation and I'll kind of get to what I was reflecting on that makes me like it even more. Um, it's kind of a, I'll say the central figure, the central, you have this dynamic between the, the billionaire and this guys who's broken in his home and you know Jason Siegel and Jesse Plemons and you know, the wife's there too, providing like, you know, stories and storylines and arcs and threads, but it kind of shifts dramatically at one point towards the you know last third of the film. 
But if you think about it, there are definitely some breadcrumbs that were bothered to be scattered earlier mm-hmm. in the film, and that the payoff of some of those was was satisfying for me. But what what's your what's your take on the film? Alan? Yeah, I I I I really like the film. Oh, I, I I had a good time with it. I uh, at the end of the day, you know. It's one of those films. I mean, it, honestly, it's another selection, Chris. I'll give credit to you, Chris Fry. Knew nothing about. <laughs> okay. I mean, honestly, didn't even well, know. Well, with stuff, stuff that goes straight to Netflix, yeah. not hard to not know anything. I, about I didn't it, know. So. I didn't even know who the writer director was until <laughs> okay. I saw the name up on the screen at sure. the credits. I'm like, oh, okay. And so I really went in this about as blind as you could go. Oh, good. And um, good. no, I, I really I appreciated it. I know I know people are going to see this film and probably consider it very slight. Mm-hmm. And not feel like it really. There's not really Advanced what you would consider a payoff. There's sure. not really that what you typically would see with a film like this, where there's some either twist, there's some revelation, there's some big uh, ending moment for anybody, and you don't really have that. Granted, things do escalate a little <laughs> bit in the last sure. 20 minutes of this film yeah. uh, to set it on a little different path than I think you're led to believe the rest of the film's going to be. But I I just enjoyed the. Uh, I enjoyed the back and forth between the three leads. I thought they were all very interesting characters, all playing a little bit against uh, some typical stereotypes. Um, I thought Jesse Plemons, who I I typically, you know, I think he's a good actor. Mm -hmm. I think it just has to be the right material for me to see him really shine. This was a role I I got to see him play very, very different than I think I've used to see him any play, which is great. Lily Collins, I'm not as familiar with a lot of her work. Phil Collins's daughter. I know that? got that piece of trivia, yep. but otherwise, yes, I'm familiar with. So her as well. she was really good. She was. She was strong. Yeah. And then Jason Siegel, I've always liked, and getting to see him play someone, um, not as likable. I mean, sure. although you know, again, you he can doesn't sympathize with him. You can sympathize but, with him, but yet they keep him just distant enough that you never really know how much you can care for him or think about this person. Right. So I, I like the, all the dynamics. I like the fact that it all took place at this house. The house itself became a little bit of a character, just to kind of understanding the layout and mm-hmm. this whole kind of outdoor out in, I guess, California or Arizona desert. Somewhere. It was, yeah, it actually was filmed supposedly out in California. Yeah. So, yeah. And um, I liked the way it was presented in the film as well. I love the score. Yeah. The score, very Hitchcockian. Um, I can see where the score might be seen as a little, a little showy hmm. while the film is very downplaying. But it worked for me. And I feel, I I it, feel like you worked. need that. Was, and I think yeah. genre-wise, like if you think back to like some noir films, like, yeah, the score was always kind of, you know, yeah. maybe a little much. A little much, yeah. yeah. So, but it worked. I, no, I enjoyed yeah. it because sure. I love that type of score in a film anyway. Right. Um, so, no, I was it was good. I It kept me wondering where they were going with it. I mean, you start to see a certain plot line develop as the film went on. You started to realize you know, what the relationships were really like between some of these individuals, um, mm-hmm. which I thought made it interesting. It made the ending to me. It was a decent payoff. Uh, it was a somewhat surprising um, payoff at the end, but I, I think it worked with where the film was taking us the whole time. Sure, and, I'm, uh, I'm curious if the um, you like you mentioned kind of how trim the cast was. I mean, it's basically three, and then kind of a fourth, mo- yeah. very minor character in there for a little bit. 
in a single location. I'm assuming, because this film came out in 2022, that it was kind of a COVID production, um, because you would think with such a small cast, the crew could probably also be small. And yeah. I think it worked really well. It's a film that I think benefited maybe from, you know, it's like, okay, here are our constraints. What kind of thing can we do? And they're like, well, let's do this. You know, and it, and yeah. it worked and it didn't seem hemmed in by like it, it was no. perfect. I mean, no, just everything in the story led itself to believe that you, you really are just watching these three people and they are on a, on a, on a, in a location of their own. And, yeah. uh, you don't really have people around cause that's part of the story around it as well. S- something um, I'll point out too, that was interesting to me is that we, you and I haven't mentioned that we've mentioned the actor names a lot, but we haven't mentioned the character names. Well, that's because we don't have, there's them. a reason. Yeah. Jason Siegel is credited as nobody. Jason or Jesse Plemons is credited as CEO. Yeah. <laughs> and then Lily Collins is wife. And yeah. like, that's it. That's all the, you know, they never, and it's, and, and I, I think that's important. I think it's important and intentional. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Intentional. Yeah. It was, that's when you get, when you're at the end of the film, you're realizing, yep, they are all, that's the role they're playing. Yeah. And there's a reason for that being just the only title you know them by. So, um, so what I kind of tea, I'm not going to spoil anything. Yeah. Um, and I, they're not, you know, the whole time I was watching this because of having seen the one I love and I was expecting kind of like a, either it's a different director, kind of a Shyamalan twist yeah. or a shot. And there's not really. Mm-hmm. Nope. However, I will say Lily Collins, who, you know, she's, we commented all three of them were really good. She gives a very important kind of pivotal speech about her wedding day. Yes. And I'll just say you know, pay attention to that. And mm-hmm. it has, and it has payoffs. So, yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing is I think, you know, so I'm sure viewers could go to the end of this and say, Oh, it was just a uh, crime drama ending. It was just, you know, but it really was telegraphed. It really was kind of, I think, like you said, and some of the, if you're paying attention to what's being talked about and where everybody's emotions are by the end of the film, I think it, it totally made sense. So it totally worked. Got a question for you. Mm-hmm. Kind of wrapping up, you know, my thoughts on the film and stuff. But what you what you make of the title? Yeah, I don't get the title. So I haven't, you know, just a windfall, like a sudden opportunity. He he's coming into money because the whole thing is he ends up kind of blackmailing these people for money. Yeah. However, let me suggest to you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> kind of wrapping up the the title of tying knots. Mm-hmm. Okay. One character does so in one sense, and another continuously failing to do so effectively in another sense, mm-hmm. kind of ties the film together. Sorry, mm-hmm. couldn't resist the pun there, but I think kind of ties the film together. And I, I can't really explain much more without ruining things. Sure, um, but I think like, you know, yeah, not not tying as far as shoes, not tying oh, as yeah. far as oh, wedding, yeah. and then like it. there's consequences that each one of those has. So yes. anyways, I think, and the more I think about some of those things, the more I'm like, wow, like it's not that it's profound, but it really kind of brings things together and made still, me like the film a little more. I'm still not grabbing the title. Though. I'll, I'll have to, I'll have to, yeah, then okay. it's a then spoiler. So I'll, right. I'll tell you more. Off. That's yeah. Fine. <laughs> um, yeah. The title kind of threw me a little bit, but I, I didn't really think too much about it. Okay. You know, there was, there was, there's a moment in the film I think another argument you could make against this film a little bit is, is the tone shifts a little, the tone shifts. And I kind of get the impression looking back that they weren't quite sure when and how to shift it and to what degree. I can see that because there's a, I'll just quote, this is early in the film. This is like in the first third of the film, but there's a, a, a comedic sequence. moment. Yeah, yeah. Like one dialogue about money. Yes. 
that I just thought was a little out of left field. I'm like, ah, you know, I don't know if I'd just quite buy this conversation as much. And if it's wanting me to be a different type of film okay. than I thought it was going to be. And then it's ended up not being that type of film, but that scene still stood out as like, and I, I, I felt like there was maybe a little struggle with tone at that point. Still tap dancing around spoilers. Yeah, yeah. Um, I will say, I agree tone wise. It was in Jason Siegel's known for doing comedies, you know, so he's kind of, right. He's kind of, so yeah, that, that scene was, a little odd tone wise, but it contributes to setting up relationships between wife and CEO, CEO and character nobody, and wife and nobody. Sure, right. Because there's things that like where where does wife fall in the scale between nobody mm-hmm. and CEO? And mm-hmm. that's what upon reflection I think more about and like some actions that are determined in how I can also say how both men treat her. Oh yeah. No, yeah. And I, it just, there's a lot, there's a lot more going on than I thought upon first, like finishing the movie. I was like, Oh, it's okay. And then the more I reflected on it, the more some things actually kind of stood out and grew on me. So I, I, I did enjoy this film. Um, it is a, it is a slow burn of a film. It is a, you know, it's really three people, a lot of talking, a lot of talking, three people in a house. Yeah. Um, not a lot of scenery change for the most part. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, does dabble in some humorous moments, you know, uh, for part of the film that kind of gets you a little off guard. And then it does have a little bit of shift in tone, I think, uh, as it approaches its conclusion. Um, but I, I enjoyed every moment. I, it left me guessing. I really had no idea where the story was going to go. Um, there's an event that happens towards the end that really changes the tone. Sure. And what I really admired was watching how the three main characters all kind responded of to it through the, yeah. Yes. Cause all three of them went through some way different emotions and deal in processing what had just happened. And even the CEO character, which you've kind of got to see as one type of character, you see him kind of, you see some behind the curtain a little bit, you get a, a better view of him. The nobody character again, question about whether you're sympathetic to him or not. Well, mm-hmm. after that scene, you really do question how sympathetic am I and who, you know, I don't know. It was just, it was interesting to watch them play off that situation in this very jarring, upsetting uh, situation that takes place. So um, I I thought, I thought the film was an interesting film to watch and uh, I really enjoyed the three performances and um, I liked it probably a little better than the one I love. Okay. Um, I don't know. It just worked for me a little better than I remember that film doing. But I still admire both films and both both films being limited cast, limited uh, location, limited budget, obviously, and still turning out some pretty interesting films that are just uh, really, uh, I think, really worth watching. So, okay, that is Windfall. As we mentioned, it is on Netflix. Now, of course, with, you know, this on Netflix, Turning Red on, on Disney Plus, does this affect our enjoyment of these films that we feel like, Oh, well, you know, it was basically quote free. So maybe our standards, I don't know. I always wrestle with that and say, am I liking this film more because it was just so there and easy and convenient? Like windfall again, I, I knew nothing about until you recommended we we check it out and I press play. And that's honestly the first thing I knew about it was the opening credits. I'll say this, like, you know, as far as you're touching on that point, I can see why windfall, was released direct to streaming because like the audience it would have gotten had it been in a theater, probably not much, even though it's good, but I don't know that it could have, 
I don't know the whole money could have been justified. Whereas yeah. turning red, it's like, well, that, that seems kind of odd. But yeah. um, turning yeah. red, I don't think you come out of having spent, you know, 10 bucks for a movie ticket and feel like you didn't really get your money's worth or people right. might be disappointed in the film experience because they traveled out to go to a theater and buy right. a ticket. Windfall. Yeah, I could see this made more sense to go to a streaming because it's just not going to be the kind of marketable film that somebody will go seek out. There, a, it's a lot, there's for. not action. And if they sold it as a thriller, people would be like, wait, nothing happened until the last right. third of the, you know, so I can, I can, I can see it still. I can see that. I, I was curious if, if, if it changes our perspective of you reviewing True. the film. True. Because it's, it really was a nice surprise for me. Would <laughs> If I had actually gone and bought a ticket to the theater, sure. I would have probably known a little bit more about the film. It probably would have been out there, trailers all over the place, whatever. And it might have affected my ability to really enjoy the film. But me going in completely blind, mm-hmm. just having to hit a pl- button on a remote control, and all of a sudden I'm seeing this film. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it affects our enjoyment or not. It's somebody, uh, somebody in a psychology department or, or a research study <laughs> needs to figure that out and see if online streaming films have any impact on your ability to, to give it a positive review or not. Hmm. So okay. anyway, all right, well that's windfall. It is on Netflix, Jason Siegel, Jesse Plemons, Lily Collins in a Charlie McDowell film that we're both recommending. Um, sounds like a, I might have liked it a little better than you. I don't know. We both liked it. We so, both liked yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to, we'll have to see when our star ratings eventually go up, but that's yeah, true. yeah. All right, good. Well, that's, we're both recommending it. That's the main thing there. Sure. All right, Chris, we are going to take a quick break. When we come back with foot candle films, we do have a couple of trailers yes. for new films that we're going to kind of talk about and dissect a bit. Two films. I think you're going to be introducing both of these, Chris, because I have not seen the trailers. I'm looking forward to seeing what you show. Okay. And we'll talk about these new projects that are in development and are going to be coming out soon from those trailers. And then we'll end the show with a recommendation section. Um, Chris, I think, has a recommendation. I do. He does. I'm on the fence. So we'll see by the time <laughs> we get there if I feel like I have a recommendation to give or not. So that's a teaser enough to keep you engaged till the end of the show. So we'll be right back with Foot Candle Films here in just a moment. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.TV podcast network. Alan Jackson, Chris Fry from the Foot Candle Film Society and Foot Candle Film Festival. Here with you, we had our reviews of Turning Red and of Windfall, both positive reviews from both of us. So that's kind of a, it's always nice to have. Sure. Nice to have two good films that we both enjoyed watching. So let's talk a little bit about some news items and mainly talking about a couple of trailers for films, which means obviously the films are within months of us getting to see them. And we like to kind of do this. We call this trailer tapas, you know, tapas mm-hmm. being just a little morsel, just a little taste of something. That's what the trailers are for these films. Both of these films, Chris, I am familiar with the titles, but I have not seen the trailers. Gotcha. So I'm kind of anxious to hear you introduce them. And we are going to play a clip of the trailer and then uh, kind of return after each clip to talk a little bit about what we just saw. So, Chris, what's our first one we're going to be talking about here? So the first one we're going to do is um, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. I believe it premiered at so I th- actually I think both the films that we're going to talk about the trailers both premiered at South by Southwest which means you know have a little bit of patience and they will eventually they will be coming out sooner rather than later. Um, the unbearable weight of massive talent stars one Mr. Nicholas Cage 
And it seems to be kind of a variation on, in a way, a being John Malkovich type story. Not that somebody gets inside Mr. Cage's head, but that he plays kind of a version of himself in this film. Um, so let's uh, give a listen to a little bit of the trailer. What's the worry here, Nick? You've lost some of your talent as an actor? No. What did he say? He says he loves you, but he went in a different direction. I'm done. I'm quitting acting. Tell the trades it was a tremendous honor to be a part of storytelling and myth-making. Ah, fuck, man, I'm driving through the hills. I'm sorry, one more time. We got another offer. It's a million bucks. It's to attend a wealthy gentleman's birthday party. I would never do that. It's the easiest gig ever. You play yourself. What do we know about this guy? Okay. So, uh, Alan, I had seen the trailer. You had not. I um, had not. How, what, are your, what are your feelings on what looks to be kind of a, you know, breaking the fourth wall a little bit as far as Nicolas Cage's personality and his mythos that's around him and comedy? So, uh, what? No, yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, obviously it was a, you know, we're an audio podcast. I know people, you know, we play a clip of a trailer. It may be a little hard to see, obviously see what's going on on there. So we do encourage you to check it out on your own sure. outside of the show. Yeah, it is definitely a meta breaking the fourth wall version of Nick Cage. It reminds me of the film that uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme did, JCBD. Oh, yes, I never saw it, but yeah. I, I know what you're talking about. Reminds me sure. a lot of that, although this one seems to be definitely more rooted in a comedy action comedy where JCVD uh, had some drama involved and it was a, you know, it was, it was John Claude Van Damme playing himself uh, and kind of recognizing a little bit of his public persona and hmm. recalling elements of his, of his past as well. So same idea with this, Nick Clay, Nick, Nicholas Cage is playing himself, very aware of, you know, the, his choices in <laughs> life, his films, his financial situations and all that. Sure. So, um, I think this looks great. <laughs> I do too. Um, I think it. I think my expectations are really high, so I'm probably, probably going to be let down. Well, but, uh, they're yeah. under an unbearable weight, right? Of massive expectations <laughs> right. for this film. Well um, played. Pedro Pascal uh, was the other kind of lead character on this. It sounds like the one who maybe hires Nicolas Cage or, or right. uh, forms a, a bond with him of some sort. I um. Now I'm excited. I think this looks great. I cannot wait to see this now. Agreed. Um, do you know if it's going to theaters or if it's going to be streaming or what? From what I know, it is supposed to come. Ex- well, you know, the whole exclusively to theaters could change in like a day. Sure. Are we? But it's supposed to be coming out in April, I believe, and okay. it is supposed to hit theaters. Okay. So. All right. That is the unbearable weight of massive talent, starring Mr. Nicholas Cage as Nicholas Cage. Um, looks to be very, very interesting. Do you know anything about the, the maker, the, the director of the film or I do not, um, actually, and I cannot even recall his name. Um, and you know, trailers, which, you know, there again, you couldn't see it. This is an audio podcast, but they didn't even really hype the the director's name. So it may be kind of more of a, you know, earlier director. uh, Tom Gormican, Hmm, who all he's known for, I think it's the first time directing anything. Um, he, Oh, that awkward moment. Do you recall that movie? That was um, with Zac Efron, Miles Teller, and uh, Michael B. Jordan. Oh, va- vaguely. I did not kind see it. Kind of a relationship sex comedy, I believe. Okay. Uh, I never saw it. Yeah, I, I didn't either. Okay. And uh, that was the only thing he had directed. Okay. But he was also known for the short-lived TV show Ghosted that was on Fox with uh, Adam. Um, what is his name? 
Adam Scott. Okay. Who I'll be mentioning later in the show. Okay. Um, so, yes, that's uh, Tom Gormican. So, second feature film director uh, directed by him, but he has done, been doing comedy. So, gotcha. that's uh, that could be good. We'll <laughs> see how that's going to turn out. Excellent. All right. So, what else do we have, Chris? We have a second film I think you wanted to share uh, a, a trailer for. Yes. Uh, we're going to take a listen. Alan, I'll actually get to watch it um, because we're, we're here. Um, Apollo 10 and a half, which is the new film by Richard Linklater, which I believe also had a showing down at South by Southwest. And well, actually, they do. I do know this one. They are going to be premiering it on Netflix and select theaters April 1st, assuming that's not an April Fool's Day joke, but uh, April 1st. So uh, let's take a listen for you, and Alan and I shall watch a bit of the Apollo 10.5 trailer. Apollo 10.5, a a space-age childhood. Okay, here's the trailer. There's our kid. Mission? For what? We accidentally built the lunar module. A little too small. How'd that happen? Listen, are you good at math? Yeah. Do you get a perfect 100 on every test? No. Okay. We need a kid like you to test this accidentally smaller version on the lunar surface and soon. Stan, you're our only hope. So there we had the trailer for Apollo 10 and a half. Um, Chris, again, we're an audio podcast. I'm just going to do a quick description <laughs> of what we just saw. And then, sure. so it was a animated film. Yes. Although using a uh, process very much like Richard Linklater used in a scanner darkly, is it called rotoscoping? I believe so. Yeah, rotoscoping, where it's very uh, realistic looking animation. Kind of they, they shot and then actually kind of sketched over and animated on top of actual shot uh, people, I believe. Right. And it's very realistic looking, but it is actually, you know, obviously animated. Um, we had a couple of uh, named actors in the film uh, Glenn Powell uh, and then. The other one here. Hold so on. So notably, you had Zachary Levi playing, I believe, Zachary one of the Levi. NASA people. Yes. And then you also, I'm assuming doing some narration throughout, is Jack Black as kind of like ah, looking back okay. on his childhood and kind of narrating events. Sure. So, yeah, it was just interesting to me, A, because um, it was using that rotoscoping, you know, animated technique. Mm -hmm. And B, because Richard Linklater, I believe this is kind of semi-biographical. I mean, it does take place of a kid growing up in like the Texas area. And like, I think kind of his feelings when he was living through this time period. So, but obviously um, a little kid did not go to the moon. So spoiler. Right. So spoiler. a little fantastical <laughs> so, elements to it. But, right. um, but, yeah. um, but so it's kind of going to kind of be interesting because when I think Richard Linklater, I don't normally think like movies that would be suitable for a family watch. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, but you know, this looks like it could be kind of a unique you know, film in his filmography. Mm -hmm. I mean, School of Rock, sure. Which he yeah, worked he with Jack Black. had a couple yeah. of films that were um, a little more family friendly on that. So I'm, I'm just really interested to see to see what this because I knew nothing about this until a trailer popped up online. And so, oh no, I, I, I still know very. I mean, all I know is this trailer. That's sure. Like this is brand new to me. Uh, definitely looks like they they're capturing that 1969 yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, Zachary Levi, uh, Jack Black, Glenn Powell, all in the film. Richard Linklater, writer and director of it. Okay. Um, looks interesting. No, I'm 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 on board. So let's uh, let's see how this turns out. I'm looking to see if there's other names I recognize on the cast list, but not really. It's a lot of. I think those three are kind of the big names. Everybody else is uh, not as as big a household name, but but uh, 
sounded great in the trailer. So we'll see how that turns out. Okay. That is Apollo 10 and a half going to be coming to Netflix on April 1st, as well as some theatrical releases. And we think right. but also on Netflix though, sure. that's where most people I'm sure will be able to see it. Okay. So that's our two trailer tapas for this episode. Again, Apollo 10 and a half. And then we had the, uh, unbearable. unbearable. I want to make weight. sure I got the right word right. Sure. The unbearable weight of massive talent with Mr. Nicholas Cage. All right, Chris. Well, we have come to the end of our show where we do the one last thing we do on our show, and that is to give a recommendation. Uh, both Chris and I are charged with coming up with a film, or in my situation, maybe a associated piece of media that we can recommend to people as something that we think they ought to check out. Now, Chris, I have owned up to this many times in the past. I have a tough time sometimes with these recommendations because I do watch a fair amount of content, not as much always as films. Gotcha. I am becoming a much, much more keen uh, viewer of serialized fiction or TV episodes mm-hmm. just because I think television pro- programs or online streaming programs have just gotten so much better quality wise in the last five to 10 years that I just... I think there's a wealth of things to watch out there. So I'm just going to go ahead and spoil it and say that I'm not going to be recommending a film per se, but I'm going to recommend a series mainly because of its inspirations. I find from films I do like, I think make the fit the show work. So I'm still teasing that. So but let me kick over to you and ask you your, your recommendation. What do you recommend people ought to check out? I take it yours as a traditional film. Mine is, but I'll, you know, kind of like you are going to recommend something that's not a traditional film. Traditionally, I recommend films that are streaming online. And a lot of that started, like we did kind of some of that during the pandemic. We would try to recommend things that people could watch online because theaters weren't open. And we kind of kept that going for a while. Well, I'll kind of break with tradition in this sense, because this film actually is a new release. It just came out um, in March and I'm going to go ahead and recommend it. So you can probably maybe catch it in theaters. Um, so it is the new movie that by Ty West called X. Mm. Um, now disclaimers, if you don't like horror films, do not bother seeing this. Okay. Um, now if you're a fan of horror films, but you do not like the a 24 house style, which they're the people who gave you things like hereditary mm-hmm. and the witch and the lighthouse. So, and lamb from last year. So if you don't kind of like art horror, then you're not going to like this either. Mm. This is more of the genre of like something like Texas chainsaw massacre, like, you know, slasher thing, which you'd like, Chris, why would you go see that? Because it's an a 24 film. And because Ty West is kind of an interesting director, mm-hmm. um, his goal in making, you know, he has made horror before. This is kind of a return to a horror film, but there's a lot more going on than just, oh, this is a horror film. Okay. Um, the kind of boilerplate synopsis is a group of people are getting together to a filmmaker, a struggling film student, and then like some other people like from a strip club are going to go make a porn film so they can raise money and make mm-hmm. money. But they go to this rural community and like go to this farmer's house because they'd like, you know, communicate, like, hey, can we like rent your farmhouse mm-hmm. or whatever? And things don't go well Mm. um, when the people discover what they're really doing. And there's just a lot going on. Um, And I I liked it. I thought I would maybe like it um, because normally I don't really like horror films. I was like, I'm going to give this one a shot. And I did really like it. 
and I'm not going to spoil anything because for those people that do sound like this, you're interested in this. I'll just say there's some minutes in the film that are really well storyboarded and thought through and just, just really clever. There's a sequence involving a girl going swimming with an alligator or she doesn't know the alligator's there. That's really well put together. Mm -hmm. There's a cutting scene back and forth between two different groups while somebody's drinking lemonade and the other person's just drinking water, but like the cutting, the juxtaposition of what's going on in both of those scenes, there's a performance of landslide. <laughs> That's okay. really awesome. The and Fleetwood then, Mac song. I yes, think, yeah. absolutely. Okay. And then there's, um, I'll just label it the gunshot divine intervention scene. Hmm. That is just really clever. So, um, I, if you like, horror films, if you like A24 horror films specifically, this might be in your wheelhouse. Kind of a surprise to me that this came out in March yeah. as opposed to holding it till later, like in October where scary movies a lot of times happen, but who knows, release schedules are kind of weird anyway. And sometimes putting something out in the theater now that you think might get a little buzz just because it is so different. Um, I don't know if, if it sounds like it's something you might be interested in. It is playing in theaters right now so it just came out so there's a chance you could probably catch it but that is x by director ty west okay all right i'm surprised i knew you i knew you and i discussed this film before the weekend we actually yeah we were kind of like know, joking like yeah. what are we going to discuss you know on the show but you went to the movie theater and, and saw actually, a uh, a horror film i'm, I'm I, that's I did because you you mentioned it kind of jokingly yeah. and i was like oh i don't really know it. and then i kind of looked at it, i was like well Maybe. Okay. So, yeah. Good for you, man. Good for you. Um, all right. Well, like I said, I cheated a little bit. My Mine I'm choosing as a film. I'm choosing as a recommendation. It is not a film. It is a series on Apple TV Plus. Okay. And only because I, I, I think the reason I love this film, this uh, series so much, I want to recommend it, is A, it, it's some of the inspirations it borrows from and its film pedigree behind it. So this is a series directed by Ben Stiller. Yes, that Ben Stiller, the <laughs> Ben Stiller, you know, from many comedies and, and, and so forth. But he has been directing a lot for most of his career. Now, granted, most of what he did early on was all comedy. You remember The Cable Guy? Yes. He directed that film with Jim Carrey, Zoolander, uh, which you know he starred in and directed. He did the sequel, unfortunately, which was not that great. Uh, <laughs> Tropic Thunder, which I still think is a hilarious movie. He I think wrote, you may have recommended it on the show. I think I have. Yeah. He did the Secret Life of Walter Mitty, which I'll admit I never saw. I did, and it was it was yeah. okay. It, that's kind of the consensus is everybody said yeah, it's, it it's okay. okay. It was fine. Yeah. But more recently, he did a mini series on television uh, called Escape Danamora that was really widely acclaimed and, and very good mini series. So now we have a series uh, called Severance, and I will just say this: I, I, visually and as tonal wise, this is right up my alley. It mm -hmm. is mystery is some elements of sci-fi in it, but it's really a big character study of this idea of work and home, your personal life and the identities you, you assume there and, uh, you know, uh, kind of fighting against the notion of, you know, uh, uh, the traditional ways we think of work and, and home life. Uh, Siri is now talking here, so I don't know what's going on. Um, but, it's a fascinating show. I mean, the premise of it is it, you do have Adam Scott, who you normally know from a lot of movies. So he's a movie star kind of in this TV show now. Uh, he plays Mark, who's a leader of a team of office workers whose memories have been surgically divided between their work and personal life. So the idea is that when they go into work, 
something in their brain flips and they only know their work life. They don't remember anything about themselves outside of work. When they leave work, they flip back and now they're only aware of their non-work personal life. They don't know what they do during the work day and vice versa. I think the premise is amazing. (laughs) It opens up so many possibilities. Sure. And the fact that this is now couched in a mystery of knowing what this company is, what these people are really doing during the day. Um, it's just fascinating to me. And then it just, it does introduce some very uh, mystery box type elements where you're trying to understand what's going on. And I, I think it's great, but I love it because I think some of the film influences we see, uh, we've all seen some of the more quirky films where the office environment is just this very sterile kind of, sure. you know, very uh, caricaturish office environment. Well, that's played here to some extent for laughs, but yet you also get that there's something more sinister going on as well. Um, it's just, it's a really, really well done show. And I think, uh, again, I know it's a little different than sitting down for an hour and a half, two hours. You do have to kind of commit yourself to a longer period of time on this, but, uh, Adam Scott, you've got John Turturro in it. You've got Christopher Walken in it. Patricia Arquette plays a key role. So some big name actors, big name performances. And uh, I'm just happy to see Adam Scott with a kind of a really good meaty leading role. I've always liked him as a, as a, Actor, a little bit of a, a little sense of comedian at times, but this is something he really gets to act, and it's just uh, it's just a fun role to play. So, Severance is my recommendation. Uh, sorry, I couldn't keep it to something under two hours for you guys for a, a, a traditional movie, but this is where my time is right now. So when I get to watch shows, this is the one I'm into, and uh, it, I definitely think it's worth checking out. Now the series is still going on. This thing could crash and burn at the end and just be horrible. And that may come back and have to recant some of my <laughs> recommendation. But at least uh, four to five episodes in, I think it's a winner and uh, something worth checking out. So that is my recommendation. All right. So with that, Chris, I think we're done. Uh, we had great reviews of Turning Red and Windfall. We played the trailers for a couple of new films that would be coming out. Both of them coming out in April. And then we had our recommendations, uh, Chris with the film X, surprisingly, <laughs> and me with a cop-out cheat of a choice, but it's an Apple TV Plus series, Severance. Everything, top to bottom, all recommendations today, a lot of things we're championing or very excited about seeing in the near future. Chris, if anybody has any feedback for us, thoughts, ideas, suggestions, uh, their own take on the two films we reviewed, how can they get a hold of us? You can send an email to info at footcandle.org. You can follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. Alan and I are also on Letterboxd where you can track what we're seeing. And every now and then we leave short little reviews. Do us a favor. Uh, give us a star rating, write a review, share with friends on whatever service you receive your favorite podcast on to help us reach new listeners. We would always appreciate that. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention, of course, that the Foot Candle Film Festival is open for submissions. Our 2022 Film Festival will be held September 21st through the 25th. If you'd like to attend, uh, we'd love to have you here. If you can submit your film, if you're a filmmaker, submit before May 1st and you can save some cash. So the final deadline for submitting is June 1st. So as long as you get in by then, you'll be good. But uh, not a filmmaker, you want to be an attendee, we'd love to have you in in Hickory, North Carolina, September 21st through the 25th. All right. Well, that is going to wrap it up for our show. And uh, again, thanks for listening. We will look forward to talking to everybody next time with some more film reviews, discussions, and recommendations. So thanks for listening to Foot Candle Films. Take care. We'll talk to you next time. See you in the ticket line.
Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.